So this guy stops me and he goes, Cox. And I go, yeah, what's up? And he goes, yo, man. He said, listen, bro, uh, I want to let you know you can't walk the yard no more. And I went, what? Yeah. Uh, he goes, Bubba wanted me to tell you. Uh, we, we read that fucking article about you snitching on that fucking dude. Uh, you can't be, you can't, uh, you can't walk the fucking yard no more. And I looked at him and I went, okay. I said, well, can you do me a favor? I said, let me, I said, let Bubba know I'm going to be out there tonight. I'm going to go to chow and then I'm going to go out and I'm going to walk laps. Hey, this is Matt Cox and, um, I'm going to talk about, uh, we're, Doing my, basically, me getting to prison. Really, I haven't even gotten into anything yet, to be honest. So you haven't missed much. Uh, I I was in prison, and after a couple of days of being in uh, Coleman's medium security prison, I had already kind of gotten myself, I guess, in a, a jam, although I didn't think about it, uh, because I had basically told a guy that I cooperated. Even though my... My priest, my PSI, um, which is my pre-sentence report, uh, investigation report, uh, was actually clean. It actually looks like I didn't cooperate at all. But I told the guy, oh, yeah, I cooperated. But, you know, nothing ever happened with it. So the guy ended up going around the compound telling uh, all the uh, all the the stand up white guys. So what happened was uh, within a couple of days. I met my my cousin. I was actually in my in my cell and my cousin came up to me or I'm sorry, my cousin walked in my cell and he is my brother-in-law's cousin. He, so he's not my cousin. He's my cousin by marriage, but in prison, that's basically blood. So I'm sitting there drawing. I think I was just drawing something and he comes in and uh, walks in. His name is Reese Townsend. And he goes, Matt, Matt Cox. And I looked up and I went, uh, yeah, what's going on? And I could tell right away, like, this guy's a maniac. This guy is super, he's skinny. He's tall. He's got, um, like, at that point, I don't think he had any dentures or anything. He's got, like, almost no teeth, very few teeth. And just everything about him looked like drug addicts. You know, he's got, he's got, he's bald. He's got receding hairline and he's got his all his hair pulled back in a ponytail and he had a hat on like an old military style hat, like the one of the green hats. So he took his hat off and he he held it like this. He goes, Matt Cox. He goes. And I said, uh, yeah. And he goes, Reese Townsend. And he puts his hand out. And he goes, I'm your cousin. And I remember I shook his hand and I looked at him and I went, not by marriage. He goes, nope, you got lucky there. And I and he said, uh, no, I said, oh, my God, that's not what I said. Sorry. I said, I go, I said. Cousin by marriage, I go, I go, not by blood. And he goes, he goes, that's right. You got lucky there. And I, and he, he said, how you doing? I went, I'm, uh, I'm okay, bro. I said, what's up with you? Like, you could just tell this guy's a maniac. So he said, well, I'm just here to help you out. Uh, I know that my, uh, you know, my cousin told me that you were going to be here and, uh, we're cousins. And, uh, so I'm here to take care of you. What do you need? I said, geez, man, um, I don't know, bro. I said, I, I mean, I don't know what I need. So, well, I'm going to get together a, a care package. So he goes and he gets me, um, I already had shower slides. So he gets me shower slides. He gets me some soups. He gets me some coffee. He gets me, he just got me a bunch of like odds and ends. And within probably a week or so, um, I think my mother had sent me money. And so I was able to buy 
uh, some commissary, like might get my own shower slides and get, you know, some other, some, uh, just regular stuff that you need that you don't even realize you need. Um, like you can't, you can barely really live off of like, they call it the state, you know, state supplies, like the things that the prison will give you if you're indigent. So, you know, they'll give you toothpaste and little things, but you, they'll give you a little toothbrush this big, like you can barely brush your teeth with it. So you have to get things like toothpaste and, and a toothbrush and, and, you know, people can't mail you in anything. So you need money. And if you were to get a job, the jobs pay like eight bucks a month. Maybe if you worked at Unicor uh, for the first month, if you worked at Unicor 30, 40 hours a week. If you were first to be able to get a job working in the factory, your first paycheck might be maybe 40 or 50 bucks. You know, you have to slowly – like there are some guys making 300 and $400 a month, but they've been there years because they pay these guys like 80 cents or – no, they'll pay them like 15 cents an hour initially. And then they get bumped up to like 45 cents an hour. They get bumped up to like if you make like a dollar and – uh, a dollar uh, an hour or something or do- I'm sorry, like a, a dollar 15 an hour. You're doing really good, you know, so they eventually might make two dollars an hour or something. Like it's outrageous what they pay these these guys. So um, Reese gets me a bunch of stuff. And I ended up I remember that night, the first night we met, he goes, he goes, why don't you come to my place tonight or come to my house tonight? And I went and I and, you know, like he lived there, like in my mind, I still didn't live in Coleman. And there's a lot of guys who you'd, I'd say, well, hey, well, where do you live? Where do you stay? And they'd go, well, I live in Tampa. And it'd be like, hey, man, you got 15 fucking years. You live in B3. You know, you're in cell, you're in cell number 40 in B3. That's where you live. You've been here 10 years. You got another five years to go or whatever it is. It's like guys are still like, well, I don't live here. Yeah, you do live here, bro. Like, you know, you, I understand they're trying to mentally say that they're above this or something or this isn't their where they live or something, but you're staying someplace two, three, four, five years. You live there. And that's where I lived. So Reese's head, I found out, I went to his place that night and he was in, he was in, I think B, B3. No, he was in B4. I was in B3, I think. Anyway, he was in really, so I ended up going there and he had made, uh, pickled eggs. Somebody, he, he had bought like pickles and he would save the juice and somebody had snuck eggs out of the kitchen and he bought, he would buy the eggs. So that's contraband. And then he had a stinger, which is a, a device that you can plug into a wall socket and put into water and it will instantly boil the water. So he boiled water and made hard boiled eggs in pickle juice. And it was straight, I literally boiled them in a trash can. Um, I've never had boiled eggs that good in my entire life. Not before prison, not after prison. They were amazing. Like Reese could cook. Like it was, it was amazing. It was amazing. Everything about Reese let you know, like made you feel like you weren't in prison. I've never seen a guy better adapted at prison life. He had every square inch of his locker space completely filled. He 
was so overly organized it border it was borderline OCD. He had you know he had stuff stored in other people's lockers. All the COs loved him. So I go there that night and I remember I met a guy named Jason Weeks. Jason Weeks' story was that Jason Weeks was like a child prodigy and he had opened uh he had like at 18 or 19 he started trading stocks and he started investing people's money by the time he's 21, 22 years old. And he actually had a radio program where he and his mother got retirees to give them money that they would invest. Somehow or another, he ended up losing a bunch of money or had done something illegal. And the federal government was trying that the U.S. attorney's office, when Jason Weeks got arrested, U.S. attorney's office was trying to give him um, like I think they wanted him to do a couple years in jail and then be on probation. He'd be a felon. He would no longer be able to trade or invest people's money. Jason insisted he hadn't done anything wrong and those losses or what for whatever reason they had indicted him uh, weren't his fault and he was going to go to trial. Now, here's the problem with Jason is that Jason Weeks it, it was and is extremely arrogant, arrogant in such a way that it's detrimental to himself and anybody that's a part of his life. Uh, and this is a guy also, by the way, that counted every day he was in prison and was absolutely, absolutely felt he shouldn't be in prison and um, was was disgusted by the fact that he was so the people he was surrounded with, with he was disgusted by, um, you know, just just somebody who felt extremely entitled to a way of life that he didn't really deserve and that he hadn't committed a crime that he actually had committed. Jason Weeks went to trial and he lost and he got, I'm going to say he got 30 years. Hey, if you guys didn't know, I also do, I do paintings. And uh, if you're interested in a painting, I'm going to leave my contact information in the description beneath the video. Back to the video. So before Jason Weeks went to trial, I always love this story. Before Jason Weeks went to trial, <laughs> the U.S. government, they came to him and they said, you get three years. We'll give you three years, but you have to cooperate against your two co-defendants where he had three co-defendants, your three co-defendants. And Jason Weeks said no. He was going to trial. So he and his mother went to trial and they lost. So, okay, you lost. You get 30 years. So he got 30 years. The government, the U.S. Attorney's Office came back to Jason Weeks after he got sentenced to 30 years. They said, guess what? One of your co-defendants is going to trial. So we're willing to give you 10 years. We'll reduce your 30-year sentence down to about 10 years, roughly. But you have to testify again in the trial of your other co-defendant. He said, absolutely not. I don't need to testify. I'm going to beat you on appeal. I'm appealing my conviction. They said, okay. While he was appealing his conviction, his other um, co-defendant went to trial and lost. The government then came back to Jason Weeks. So Jason Weeks then lost his appeal. 
So his co-defendant lost their trial and Jason lost his appeal. He's now still got 30 years. Well, that's you could basically appeal to like the Supreme Court. No, no, I'm sorry, 22. He did his 2255. So, so he lost. He then turned around and that the government came to him and they said, Jason, listen, you got 30 years. Your next co-defendant, your last co-defendant is going to trial. If you agree to testify against him, we'll give you, we'll bring your 30-year sentence down to 15 years. Jason said, fuck you. I'm going to file a, a it's called a, a 2255 which means you're filing because you're saying your your lawyer was ineffective. He said, I'm going to file a 2255 and I'm going to win. Fuck you. I'm not going to testify against my co-defendant. His co-defendant goes to trial. Jason files his 2255. Jason's co-defendant loses at trial. And Jason loses his 2255. He also then appeals the 2255. He loses that too. Um, Jason then turned around, contacted the U.S. Attorney's Office. Or actually contacted the DEA. Or, or Sorry, his, his Jason's sister then came to see him and said, Jesus, Jason, you're stuck in here. You got 30 years. You blew your two, your only three chances. You had three chances to do very little, to get very little time. And you blew all of them because he's an arrogant prick. Uh, she said, but I can get you out. His sister's very attractive. And she knew a drug dealer, a big time drug dealer that actually liked her, really liked her. But she had kind of been dating him a little here, a little there. And she said, look, I can date this guy. I can get in good with him. I can work with the DEA and I can get him busted. And then they'll give you the cooperation and you'll get out of prison. By this point, Jason's been locked up like four or five years. So he goes, okay. He contacts the DEA agent. DEA agent says, absolutely. Um, we'll get you something for it. We're, we're, I'll, I'll try and get you something. I can't promise you, but I'll try and get you something. And he says, okay. So they contact the U.S. attorney. The U.S. attorney says, okay, if you got, if Jason's sister works with you guys and gets these this guy busted, um, we'll consider it substantial assistance. Which is which substantial assistance means that if you if you provide substantial assistance to the government in a case that results in arrests, they'll reduce your sentence for it. So they said we'll consider it substantial assistance if there's a bust. Okay, no problem. So Jason's sister starts banging this DE or banging this fucking uh, drug dealer and gets in good with him and actually finds out when a literal boatload of cocaine is coming in from Colombia. She works with the DEA. She gets the drug dealer on wires. They get somebody to. Um, uh, they, they do a whole sting operation. They wait till the, the drugs come in. They bust the boat. The boat has, you know, hundreds and hundreds of kilos on the boat. They grab the drug dealer. They grab all of his guys. He pleads guilty. He cooperates. He, all these guys are getting busted. They all get hundreds and hundreds of years worth of, uh, uh, of sentencing. Jason turns around. 
contacts the U.S. attorney and says, hey, all these guys got busted. My 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 sister worked at DEA. You guys said you'd reduce my sentence. You said you'd consider it substantial assistance. And they said, you know what, Jason? We did consider it substantial assistance, and it's not. So we considered it, and we decided it's not. Like, they never promised him anything. So he goes nuts. He actually fi- he files a motion. He ends up filing a motion called a uh, um, it's a motion to compel or a motion for specific pr- performance, which means that I performed one thing. We had a contract. We had an agreement. I performed this. You were supposed to do this. So it's a motion to compel the government to reduce his sentence. He files it, and the government, in their response, I remember they said, and this was before Osama bin Laden had been caught. They said, if Jason Weeks told us where Osama bin Laden was staying and helped us get Osama bin Laden, he doesn't get one day off his sentence. Like they were adamant they weren't going to give him a thing. So Jason Weeks fought his case the entire time. He did 25 years. I think he did 25 years total. He did every day of his sentence. He got 30 years. He got gained good time. Time knocked off his sentence. He did every single day of it. Arrogant as you can you can be. And also, by the way, smart. Like you can't believe how smart. This is a guy who taught himself French, Spanish, um, uh, and Portuguese while he was in prison. It, the guy was brilliant. But he's also an arrogant prick, the kind of guy you like, like so arrogant, you wouldn't even want to have dinner with him. Like I, I wouldn't even want and I'd have dinner with 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 Adolf Hitler and Stalin. Like I make I feel like I could have dinner with with, um, you know, with uh, uh, with pretty much with serial killers. Like I've had dinner with serial killers. I'd rather be around them than Jason Weeks. That's just what an arrogant prick he is. Anyway, my cousin. So we're sitting there and I meet Jason Weeks and I just remember thinking what an arrogant prick this guy is. But regardless. Um, we're eating devil eggs. Delicious. My cousin made uh, deep fried wraps uh, where you wrap it in like a tortilla thing and you wrap like chicken and then you deep fry it because they would actually take they would actually be able to take a deep fry stuff in the garbage cans. Delicious. Doesn't sound delicious, but it was. Uh, what else? We um, so we talked all night and my cousin, you know, my cousin's arrest, unfortunately, his story is not as comical or interesting or depressing or whatever you want to call it. It's not as worthy as Jason Weeks because basically my cousin uh, Reese has basically been a drug addict his whole life. Like he's been, he's been on meth. He's had, he had a good run. He had like a business that he'd got destroyed. Um, He got had, then he'd get out. He'd do well. He'd fuck that up because of meth. He, uh, then he started cooking meth. He'd fuck that up. And get busted, and then he'd get out, cook meth again. And basically, my cousin just had been in and out of jail his entire life. And it's sad because this guy was brilliant. I mean, uh, Reese Townsend is is really a very smart guy. He was huge, knew everything about World War II. Like, he could be a college professor teaching history of the history of World War II. He knew every battle, how many people got killed, from what direction they came in, how many tanks were involved. Uh, what the strategy was like, you know, it, it's just everything, the dates, everything. He was amazing, but uh, a deeply, deeply disturbed person that has uh, is hopelessly addicted to uh, to meth. 
And uh, since then, he's gotten out. And I've tried to get him on the podcast a bunch of times, and he just can't seem to, you know, hold it together long enough to even make a plan and actually show up to an actual podcast. Like, we can't get to that point. Hey, I wanted to let you guys know that I have a Patreon account. If you're interested in joining the Patreon account, it's got three tiers. The top tier, you actually get a different con man painting every single month. If you're already joined and you're already supporting me, I really appreciate that. If you haven't joined yet and you're interested in joining, I'm going to leave the contact information for Patreon in the description. Thank you very much for watching the video. Back to the video. Anyway, um, so I met them and by this point, within a few days of that, and I'm going to get better more in this story, but within a few days of that, I remember it got around that I had cooperated and my cousin, so all the stand-up white guys are talking about trying to check me in. And so my cousin comes to me and he's basically like, yeah, these guys apparently, did you tell somebody that you cooperated? I was like, yeah. And I remember he said, listen, believe it or not, he said, mo almost all these guys did. But there's one or two that didn't. He said, and the other guys are all lying about it. So everybody's either, because, you know, you have to think most, most people, like if you've got, if 95% of federal inmates cooperate and you have, let's say, 40 guys in a clique, like let's say 40 white guys, well, then do the, do the math. The math alone tells you that only out of those 40, like two guys didn't cooperate. Like everybody else cooperated. Like what's happening? So, you know, like you're lying. Like you guys have all got to be lying. You're, you all cooperated. But they're all lying, saying they're stand-up guys, and nobody's doing the math. But the point is, uh, I was like, "Yeah, I don't get whatever." And, they, and he was like, "Yeah, they're going to try and get you to check in or something." I was like, "Oh, I'm not going to check in." So, um, basically, Reese just went around and said, "Look, this is my cousin. He's not going to check in. Like, just don't hang out with him. Leave him alone. Stay away from him." And that was what happened. Like, it, they weren't going to do anything anyway. And what's so funny is that I would see these guys and I'd sit with guys and, got, you know, eventually everybody's just cool with you. You know, I'm walking the rec yard. I'm, I'm perfectly fine. Nobody's bothering me. Um, it, was, it, it wasn't until about a year or so later when I was approached by American Greed. American Greed came to me. And they sent me a letter and I responded and I called my lawyer. My lawyer called the U.S. attorney. The U.S. attorney called my attorney and said, look, we want this. We want Mr. Cox to be in, in, interviewed for America, for an episode of American Greed. And American Greed, it was they used to do a one hour kind of a slash and burn tabloid news thing um, where they would take a, a famous criminal and then they would just do a one hour. Just they just bash the ever living crap out of the guy. And so anyway, the U.S. attorney wanted me to do it. And so I did it, and the U.S. attorney told my attorney, look, we'll consider it substantial assistance. Now, keep in mind, they'd already done this to me once where they asked me to be interviewed by Dateline. But the truth is, is like, what choice do you have? They won't put it in writing. They're like, do it, and we'll consider it substantial assistance. It's like what they're saying is we'll consider it for substantial assistance, but we want you to do it before we even think about it. Okay, fine. I don't have a choice. I got 26 years. So what I do is I go ahead and I do the program, right? Like they bring me to the warden's office and I talk on the phone several, several times. Um, and I do the American Greed episode. Uh, the next thing that happened was by this point, the FBI was coming to see me. 
So the FBI is showing up and what they do is like they don't want to tell you. They don't want to call you out. Like they can't say, hey, come to the, you know, come to, you know, the FBI is here for you. So they can't tell you that. So what they do is they call you to like medical. And they say, hey, come to medical. So then you go to medical and then at medical they say, hey, go down here and go into you know visitation or you know they go to R&D and then they have a, a walkway that goes into another room in visitation where you actually the FBI is waiting for you. And that's what would happen is I'd get a phone call and the FBI and or not a phone call. I would get announced, hey, Cox, go to medical. I'd go to medical and they'd say, hey, go to visitation. I'd go to visitation. I'd walk in and people can still see you going into visitation. Like they can see you walking around the compound and, and people, if they're paying attention to you, they'll start asking questions. You can lie about it, you know, and it doesn't really matter. Like, like you can lie about it and they don't really know. So I would go and I'm talking to the FBI. FBI came in and the FBI was asking me questions about, um, about a guy named Michael White. Uh, oh no, Kevin White, who Kevin White was a dirty politician. He was a dirty politician that when I was in in Florida, I had bribed and I'd actually gotten him elected I'd gotten him elected to the city commissioner as city commissioner. No, I'm sorry, councilman. After he became councilman, he became city a county commissioner. But I I actually paid him out of his whole budget was like thirty thousand dollars and I gave him like twenty two thousand dollars to run for um for city uh, city council. Yeah, he became a city a councilman. So he became a councilman and I had paid that because I was going to have him rezone all of my lots um, because that was that fell within his his uh, purview and he could have gotten that done. I ended up taking off and it never ended up happening, but I did bribe him. There was tons of checks with me paying him. Got, other people were saying, yeah, Cox fucking got this guy elected uh, so that he could have all of his properties rezoned from single families to multifamily, which would have made the half a million dollars worth of lots that I had worth at least a million or $2 million. Anyway, that never happened, but I did bribe him. So, and I'd had a bunch of uh, interviews. And so I remember the FBI came to see me a bunch of times. And when they came to see me, eventually what happened was there was a newspaper article about me cooperating with the FBI in a case against Kevin White. And that hit the news, hit St. Petersburg Times ran that article. And so I immediately get called to the lieutenant's office. I didn't even know that an article had been had that they had it was on the front page and been released. I knew that I knew that they were doing an article on it, but I didn't think it was a big deal. Well, I got thrown in the shoe for 45 days because for my own protection. And by the time I got out, you know, I still didn't give a shit. Like, I don't give a fuck. Like, I don't care if you're calling me a fucking a rat or saying, hey, this guy's cooperating. I don't give a fuck. Fuck you. You know? So I, this is the way I, I figured it. I realized right away my mouth was going to get me into trouble in prison. And I could either shut my mouth for the next 20-some-odd years until I was 60 years old and talk to nobody, or I could run my mouth and I would get the shit kicked out of me every once in a while. And I can tell you right now, I'm going to get over an ass kicking a lot faster than I'm going to get over not being able to run my mouth. So I figured I'll just run my mouth and I'll get smacked every once in a while. So anyway, what happens is I remember this guy 
like two days, a couple days after I got out of the shoe and went back to my unit. And everybody's kind of looking at me, right? Because now everybody knows because it was in the newspaper. And it's gone. Everybody's read it. So I remember this guy comes up to me that was one of the stand-up white guys. And I'm walking the compound. I'm like walking around. And he, he comes walking up to me. And he goes, hey, Cox. And I'm, I've never even talked to this fucking guy. Like he's got a goatee that comes down here and it's got a skull, like a, a carved out skull on the goatee. I mean, he's straight, straight Aryan looking douchebag. Um, and so he stops me. He goes, Cox. And I'm like, oh, yeah, what's up? He goes, yo. So by the way, the, the main guy, the shot caller for the, the white guys, his name was Bubba. And, you know, Bubba sounds like a big, big guy. Bubba was probably my height. Uh, but he did work out all the time. Had a ton of tattoos. He was there for math. So this guy stops me and he goes, Cox. And I go, yeah, what's up? And he goes, yo, man. He said, listen, bro, I uh, want to let you know you can't walk the yard no more. And I went, what? Yeah. Uh, he goes, Bubba wanted me to tell you. Uh, we, we read that fucking article about you snitching on that fucking dude. Uh, you can't be you can't uh, you can't walk the fucking yard no more. And I looked at him and I went, okay. I said, well, can you do me a favor? I said, let me, I said, let Bubba know I'm going to be out there tonight. I'm going to go to Chow and then I'm going to go out and I'm going to walk laps. I said, if you guys fucking jump me or do whatever you're going to fucking do. I said, that's fine. I'll be on the fucking yard. I'm going to walk fucking laps. So whatever it is, it is. I said, but I'm not going to spend the rest of my fucking time being chased around by you motherfuckers. And he sat there and he just looked at me. And by the way, keep in mind, I'm pretty brave because we're standing right in front of the guard shack. Like the guards are inside. They're staring right at us from 20, 30 feet away. So I don't think he's going to attack me. So he looks at me and he goes, yo, man, I don't give a fuck. He said, Bubba told me to tell you. That's what I'm telling you. I don't give a shit if you walk on the fucking yard. I don't care what the fuck you did. He said, he goes, all right. And he just walks off. So I tell my cousin Reese. Um, I tell Jason uh, Weeks. Uh, I tell my other buddy, which is a guy named Zach. And there, we had a couple other guys, a guy named John Gordon, uh, a couple other guys. Well, Zach was my buddy. He's a black guy, um, big black guy there for fraud. Fucking funny. Anyway, so Reese talks to a couple other white guys that he knows. And after we eat dinner, we all go in a little group of like five guys and we walk the track for about an hour. And Bubba's out there and Bubba sees us and Bubba's got five or six guys with him and they see him. And I later found out that basically when Bubba was like, yeah, let's go talk to them guys. Those, the other guys were like, but bro, I, I don't want to fucking do that. I don't want to fucking go do nothing. I don't give a fuck. Nobody gives a shit. They just, we just want to do our fucking time. And I don't give a fuck about that dude. I don't give a fuck. We're just going to just, I'm just not going to talk to him. And so Bubba was upset about it, but the, in the end, Bubba never did shit. The only thing Bubba ever did, did was one time I was talking to this guy named D, Michael, Mike DiGeronimo. Um, and he was a paint, he used to paint, great painter. And DiGeronimo, we were standing in line talking and Bubba saw him talking to me. And Bubba walked over to him and goes, come here, let me talk to you. And I, he walked over, he goes, yeah, what's up? And he said something to him. He actually told him, he said, look, I just want to let you know that dude you're fucking with is a cooperating witness. And if you're fucking talking to him, I'll tell you right now. He said, if you ever need our fucking help, he said, we ain't going to fucking help you. So if I see you talking to that dude or eating with that dude, he said, I'm sorry, bro. He said, you, we can't be fucking, we can't be fucking with you. 
And he goes, all right. So Mike actually stood up and, or Mike actually walked about 10 people behind me and stood in line. I didn't really know what had happened because I couldn't hear what they were saying. So I go and I eat. And then later in the unit, Mike and I were in the same unit. Mike came up to me and he goes, bro, listen, let me tell you what happened. And he told me what happened. And he said, I'm sorry, man. I mean, I don't mind hanging out with you, but what if I need those guys? Like, you know, I gamble. I like to get fucked up. You know, he did like heroin and shit in prison in there. He's like, you know, what if I get myself fucked up? What if something happens? What like, I need these guys to kind of help protect me. You know, I, I just, I just can't be a part of this whole thing. I said, Mike, I don't give a fuck. I said, I didn't come here to make any friends. I don't care if we're friends. I don't care if we hang out. I don't care if I ever fucking talk to you again. I said, I'll damn. I said, I'll never talk. I would, I doubt I'd ever talk to you on the fucking street. I said, if this is the the life that you're living and this is a part of the, what's happening with you and you're good with that. And I said, I don't care. It's fine. I said, I'm not upset with you. I mean, it is what it is. I mean, whatever. So anyway, Mike, it's so funny too, because within a week or two, Mike was sitting at the table with me. Mike was standing in line with me. You know, he just, I, I don't know what happened. I don't know what, if Bubba was like, it's okay. Or Mike just realized after a couple of weeks, you know, fuck this. I'm not, I'm just not going to be in, I just don't want to be involved in this. Now in most prisons, you may not be able to do that, but at the medium security prison in Coleman, you could. But this is still a place where people are getting stabbed. But within probably a few months of me getting there, during this whole thing, I started teaching the real estate class. So I'm now teaching the real estate class, and I've got a ton of people that think they're going to get out and become not real estate agents, but they think they're going to buy and sell properties. They think they're going to get out and fix up property. Like every drug dealer that was in the place desperately wanted to kind of figure out like, hey, I can get out, get some money and start buying and selling properties. How do I do that? And so I started teaching a real estate class and that class was packed every single class. So on the next video, I'll talk about the real estate class and I'm going to talk about um, not only the real estate class, but I'm going to talk about basically um, when I, I get moved to the low. Because when I get moved to the low, that's really when things start happening for me. That's where there's a lot of activity at the low. I was only at the medium for three years. And I'm not going to drag you through all through three years of it. I'm trying to kind of get to the low because that's where I start fighting my case. And I start interviewing all these criminals that I end up writing a bunch of true crime stories on. And that's where things get really interesting. So with that said, I appreciate you watching the video. Do me a favor. Hit the subscribe button. Hit the notification bell so you get notified of videos just like this. Leave me a comment in the comment section. I try and respond to as many comments as I can. I like every day I do spend a good 30 minutes to an hour trying to respond to comments. I, you know, and there are days when I can't get to it. Um, there may be, I would say I probably answer or watch or read at least 80 to 90% of the comments. And I appreciate it. If you ever want to contact me, my contact information is in the description of every single video. It's not that hard. My email's there. You can always email me. And I appreciate it, and I'll see you.